This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, Series XM, Channel 132, Business Radio. That's powered by the Wharton School. And I'm Kent Smethers, a professor at the Wharton School. And we're still taping these segments uh, on Zoom until we can safely begin these uh, shows back live from the studio. But in the meantime, you can connect with me by going to my website, which is simply kentonmoney.com. And now studies have shown that students are more likely to enroll in college when they have the financial resources to pay for them. So our guest today says that, in fact, many states are even going a step further and um, they're considering bills in their legislature that would make it mandatory for every student to apply for federal assistance through the FAFSA uh, uh, pro, uh, uh, program that is a free application for student aid. And back on the show is Jessica Dickler, who is a writer and editor who covers personal finance for CNBC.com. Prior to CNBC, she also works for CNN Money and Smart Money and oh, the Wall Street Journal and many others. So, Jessica, welcome back to Your Money. Thank you. It's nice to be back. And so, interesting article. I mean, FAFSA, of course, is always an important topic, especially for our listeners who uh, have have kids and uh, you know, it's it's not always something that they really, it's a very complex issue <laughs> as well. So, you know, w- let's talk about what what is FAFSA and, and um, why is it something that every high school student, for example, doesn't already know about? Right, well, that's a great question. I mean, for starters, the FAFSA is just a financial aid form that you should be filling out when you do your college applications. It basically serves as the gateway for all types of federal money, um, including loans and work study, but also more importantly, free money like grants. And that's the most desirable kind of assistance. Um, But with many students studying remotely this past year, it's been harder to get the message across that this is something that they should be doing. Many high school seniors just aren't getting that face-to-face interaction with a guidance counselor that they might have gotten on another year. Yeah, and that's often where you learn about this stuff. Is there, you know, somebody local to you is telling you about it? Uh, But like, I love the word you say, gateway. It's definitely a gateway application to so many different options um, out there. So, you know, some parents and students they may not want to fill out this complicated. Forms. They think it's maybe too invasive in terms of the information. They ask about everything, you know, you know, income, assets. You know, it's not like when you walk into Home Depot and you want to buy an air conditioner. They ask you to bring your tax form to see how much they can charge you for that home, for that air conditioner. But you know, we do that when it comes to education. So, um, what there, clearly there, there have been some of these efforts to try to simplify the consolidated consolidated appropriations act, things like that. Why don't you explain some of that? Uh, what, what's going on there uh, to try to make this a little bit easier? Yeah, well, you're right for starters. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why it hasn't really gotten off the ground. Um, some parents just don't want to provide all that financial information, but 
a lot of people say that it's really just too complicated. There are a lot of questions and it's not that easy. It takes a long time. So there have been, um, advocates have been working for years to kind of simplify this form, make it much easier to complete. And that will be less of a hurdle for a lot of families. So just recently, Congress passed the Consolidated Appropriations Act um, to finally make that happen. But those changes, that simplified form, won't go into effect until 2023-24. Uh, so we still have a little bit of a ways right. to go. Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunate it takes that long, to, you know, just to simplify uh, something like that. But uh, nonetheless, it's, it's good when it will certainly roll out. Um, so let's talk about some stats here in terms of percent of high school students who go on to college thanks to financial aid and versus those who don't because maybe they're not aware of it or they don't have the help. You know, what are we seeing there in, in terms of how much does this all matter in terms of college enrollment? Well, it, it kind of works in two parts. So if you know about the financial resources or aid money that you can get to help pay for college, it does seem it does show that students are more likely to immediately enroll in college, like right after high school graduation. Um, but also they're more likely to complete college if they have, you know, put these instruments in place to help um, make a financial plan to pay for it. So um, there's some early data that shows, well, Louisiana was one of the first states that made the FAFSA mandatory. And they have some early data that shows that high school graduation rates rose. Um, and then the number of high school graduates that immediately enrolled in college um, climbed to an all-time high in Louisiana. So that was really encouraging for the people that have been pushing for uh, mandatory FAFSA completion legislation. Yeah, yeah. So that's basically saying, yeah, I mean, if you want to apply to a state school or something like that, you you have to do that that application. No, I, and I, I think it's, it is, it, it, uh, call it a blunt nudge, but it's definitely uh, a way of sometimes, you know, getting people over that hurdle. So let's talk about the, you know, COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, how is that being, you know, obviously schools, colleges, universities, their endowments for at least a while took a big hit. Some of those endowments were producing income that helps pay for uh, some either needs-based or some in some cases merit-based financial aid. Uh, what's, what have you been seeing um, in terms of how financial aid's been uh, affected uh, and the number of people applying for it? Yeah, that's been really interesting. Yes, schools have taken a major hit this past year, but a lot of them are making, um, they're, they're making more financial aid aid available, not less. So they're they're kind of re yeah. um, you know refocusing their funds and, and figuring out you know what students need and they're putting more money towards aid. So that's been really encouraging, but it it seems counterintuitive, but fewer students are applying this year mm -hmm. for financial aid. Um, since the start of the pandemic, the numbers have fallen off pretty dramatically and the number of students that, that fill out the FAFSA and apply for financial aid. And there's kind of a couple of reasons why that's the case, but um, one is you know something that we've heard a lot about that students just are a little disenchanted with remote school, and they're thinking, yeah. I'm not going to go to college if I'm going to be studying remotely, you know, in my parents' house. I'll just wait. So 
that's one of the primary reasons students aren't applying for financial aid this year. But the other one, one of the other major reasons is that they may be deciding to work instead. You know, maybe their household income has taken a major hit and they want to, you know, pitch in and help their families out. So they may be working um, over the next year instead of, you know, continuing on with their college plans. Yeah, both working together there uh, to reduce desires to go to school. And it is it's definitely true, you know, Penn and others have really, we don't offer merit-based financial aid because we say everybody's a winner who comes to Penn. We don't make those distinctions, but at least needs-based financial aid has uh, increased at a lot of schools. Um, but we still see college costs, despite, uh, you know, normal microeconomic theory says when the demand curve shifts downward, prices go down, but we're actually seeing college costs still going up. Uh, even if some classes are being held virtually and so forth. You've been writing about that as well. What's going on? Yeah, there's there's uh, a couple of things happening there too. Um, one is that a lot of schools have taken a major hit like we were just talking about. So yeah. they don't have the resources to lower the tuition even if they wanted to. They just wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, they wouldn't be able to function. A lot of the college um their expense for colleges, a lot of their expenses are fixed. They have to pay faculty, you know, that that's just, there is no room there to, um, to lower tuition next year. So, I mean, some schools are, but most are either keeping it steady or even raising it. And not every school has to lower tuition because there's plenty of elite schools in this nation that are not struggling. Um, and not hurting for enrollment either. Uh, there are plenty of students that will go to the Harvard, you know, UPenn, Yales of the nation, um, pandemic or no pandemic or remote or, or in person, they, they, they don't have any trouble filling those seats. So they don't need to lower tuition. Right. Yeah, in fact, Penn has seen, a, a, as well as a lot of other schools, especially a lot of schools who are not using the SAT, score this year have actually seen applications go quite quite up as a lot more people feel like they can maybe have a, a shot at uh, right. getting in. So let's talk about more, more for the parents side. Uh, uh, one of the things you talk about, of course, is if your income went down this year in 2020, you know, the really, um, yeah, it, 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 that, you know, that is something that it, it should be noted, obviously, on their tax returns, as well as, you know, as it relates to uh, financial aid, because that can be helpful getting more financial aid. But well, let's also talk about, you know, beyond that, even the preparation for uh, for college, you know, we normal recommendation, you know, as parents should be, you know, putting money in a 529 plan. Has any of that, you know, changed in your mind with uh, uh, more recent events? Well, a 529 plan is still a great way to go if you want to save for college. Yeah because you get the, the tax deduction or credit for contributions, earnings grow on a tax advantage basis. And when you pull out the money for education expenses, it's tax-free. So as long as it goes towards tuition, fees, books, room and board, et cetera, um, it's all, uh, that's all tax advantaged. And that's a great way to go. There's been some debate lately, if your student decides not to go to college, you know, what do you do with that money sitting in a 529 plan? And is that really what right. you want when you don't know what the future holds? Um, and, uh, you know, experts generally say, you know, you still want to bank on a 529 because of the tax advantages that makes it um, a clear winner. But um, if you're 
son or daughter doesn't use it, you can pass it along to another sibling or a grandchild, et cetera. You can even use it for yourself yeah. if you want to go back to school. So there are a lot of ways around that. Um, but you know, you maybe you don't want to put your entire college savings in a 529 for that reason. You could save in an IRA or other savings tool, um, or at least, you know, kind of diversify. Yeah, and it's, it's certainly the 529 is one of those things that's best started is, you know, when your child is younger as well. Uh, and especially for the federal side of the tax benefit. And it's, you know, the pandemic will you know, hopefully long be gone by that by that point. Uh, at least, you know, we, we can only hope. And it's certainly it's still a great option. Like you said, there's so much flexibility. This isn't like with the old Coverdale plans and things like that. You know, the parent owns these 529 plans and they in fact can be used in a very flexible way across all sorts of education spending. What about other types of financial aid available? Um, um, and, you know, I think about, you know, when I was you know, applying for college years ago, it's like you got these books that you had to work your way through. My, you know, my wife, you know, went to Stanford and she went and got, was still doing that. She's younger than me, working through all these, it's like, you know, complicated ways of trying to find out the financial aid that's available for different places, from colleges, from the public government, but also, I mean, she even has one for the, for the NFL Players Association and Walmart and so forth. I mean, fortunately, this has gotten a little bit easier, <laughs> self-discovery and so forth, uh, a little less taxing um, than it used to be. But, you know, how can people find out where all this there's pots of money everywhere. I mean, how, how can they figure it out where, where to go? I mean, I, I think it's still a little like that. I mean, you have to do, you have to be yeah. very proactive, you know, to find out what resources are at your disposal. And that could be looking online and just sort of combing through, starting with um, local or neighborhood organizations. There are a lot of scholarships that are found that way. Um, and then, and then kind of broadening, but a, a really good place to start is with the colleges that you're interested in. They'll have um, tons of information and resources for, um, for finding out free, about free money or other types of financial aid. And then, um, you know, hopefully your guidance counselor can help you as well walk through that process. Um, in many schools, you're, you're going to have to be proactive there too, if you want to get in front of a guidance counselor and get that information. But, um, but there, there are more resources out there these days. And, um, and you can start yourself just, you know, with a Google search. Yeah, yeah. And there, it's, there's definitely, uh, and I would say that there's a lot more consolidators online now where you can find uh, you know, financial aid, just always, you know, be careful with the website that you're going to and to make sure that they really have your best interest in, in mind and, and, and so forth. It's always, it's always an issue, but it's great that it's a little bit easier today. But as you alluded to, even a lot of the websites online, they're still not consolidating all the different sources uh, that, are, that are available to, uh, to them. So finally, big issue in the, in the news right now is obviously student debt. I um, mean, study after study has shown that, you know, it's just a, a blanket forgiveness of student debt is often very regressive because people with high debt are often high income as well. But nonetheless, there's no question that there are some students with significant debt who are having trouble making those payments right now. Um, so what, obviously there's income-based repayments and things like that, but what are some advice that you should that you, you've been giving people if they're having trouble making those payments right now? 
Well, I mean, right now, fortunately, uh, the president has extended the payment pause on federal student loans through at least right. September. So that does buy people some time. Um, that was one of Biden's first acts as president, and it's um, it's been a you know an extremely welcome move. Um, there's some data. It's like I think around 90% of borrowers have taken advantage of the government's option to pause their payments during the coronavirus. So that's been great. Um, there. If you don't need to pause your payments, it's also a great time to keep making payments while you're not accruing interest. You can chip away at the balance. Um, but you know, of course, many people are struggling to um, you know make their monthly bills, and the payment pause has gone along a long way to help with that. Of course, that only applies to federal student loans. So a lot of people have refinanced in the last few years because of low interest rates, and they have private student loans now. In that case, um, they would have to reach out to their lender to see if there were options available for them. And a lot of lenders will work with you, particularly if you're you know, facing financial hardship due to the pandemic. So that's just the first place to start. Find out you know, what your options are. You could possibly defer your payments, refinance at a lower rate, or change the terms of the, of the loan. You can extend it and make it longer so your, your monthly payments are smaller. Yeah. I mean, a lot of lenders say it's if it's getting paid with delay or getting paid something versus not, you know, they're 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 smart enough to realize, like you said, they're willing to work with you to uh, at least get something in the in the right direction uh, done. Uh, fantastic. Once again, Jessica, it was super insightful. Thanks for coming back to the show. It's great to talk to you again. And uh, thank you, you so much. More. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's always great having you. And you can, of course, read more about Jessica's work um, by going to the website, cnbc.com. Again, uh, Jessica uh, Dickler, and you can also go to her Twitter handle, um, at Dickler. again, at Dickler. And this is Ken Smithers. You're listening to Your Money, Business Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 